0: Good morning and welcome. Our usual announcer is not here, so that's why we're having a little hiccup. But if you'll have your bulletin out, you will we'll look at the announcements real quickly before we move into the word of God. Uh, can we have lights up here, please? Thank you. Uh, Guatemala mission trip video, uh, you, there's instructions there how to access that on the website. Uh, there will be a memorial service here. August, Saturday, the 21st at 11. Many of you know the Leclercs. Glenn's daughter, um, Lauren, who was fellowshipping with us for a while. Young gal, untimely death. And uh, keep the family in prayer. Also, Calvary kids from ages 5 to 21. (laughs) Little typo there. Uh, It's supposed to be 5 to 12. And uh, so. All you older kids can stay home on that one. But uh, that will start September 10th, 7 o'clock. Uh, parents, if you want to be involved, feel free on that. Also, too, about six weeks from now, Castle Retreat. Uh, maybe seven weeks are coming up, so I want to pray about that. We always have a great time down in Franklin, Pennsylvania. Uh, we are usually there for the Apple Festival as well. So. Um, we look forward to that. And with that, let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 9. And we are in the life of Paul here. We he started that last week. Uh, we saw his conversion. And uh, we want to look at verses 20 uh, through 31. And after we read this, we'll pray. Verse 20, we're told that after Paul had been converted here, uh, actually, verse 19, the end of verse 19, then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound uh, to the chief priest but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus proving that this Jesus is the Christ now after many days were passed the Jews plotted to kill him but their plot became known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him And then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. Uh, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus." And so he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in, going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed with the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him, and when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea, and sent him to Tarsus. And then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they were multiplied." Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we see it so demonstrated in the life of Paul. Lord, such an adversary. Sometimes, Lord, it's hard for us to believe that you can save in a wonderful, dramatic way our adversaries. Lord, those who hate you. Those who, Lord, dislike us and the church. And, Lord, uh, we, we find that in this story encouragement encouragement as the early church no doubt was praying for for paul maybe praying uh, that you would dispatch him in another way but lord we thank you that you have a wonderful way of taking your enemies and lord making them your friends making them your servants and lord we thank you that we at one time too were enemy in our works but lord you wonderfully reached into our lives lord and saved us lord we're so amazed so thankful so grateful but lord you haven't stopped with us lord there are so many lord that need to know you and you have saved us lord to uh, be that special special touchstone lord to uh, people that could not be reached otherwise so i pray that in these days we would be like paul that we would have a holy boldness lord uh, to represent you Lord, to speak. Lord, we were just singing about your goodness. Your great goodness. Lord, how good you are. Lord, we look back over the years. And Lord, even before we knew you, you were running after us, Lord. You were, Lord, bringing us to the place of, of apprehension. And Lord, uh, so grateful for that, Father. So thankful, Lord, for your ongoing grace and mercy and patience, Lord, within our lives, within our hearts. So, Lord, we, uh, we commit this time to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I received a call yesterday from uh, a uh, Navy corpsman who was assigned to uh, our platoon in Vietnam, and he ha- actually ended up being my best friend in Vietnam. And uh, we have a, re- re- a reunion coming up here in September, and so he was asking me, wanted to know if I was going to go and one of the little discussions we had was he 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 kind of was saying how you know i never thought i was going to make it and and i was sharing with him yeah I was kind of sort of commiserating on that yeah i remember there were days i thought you know my number's up today but i said the goodness of the lord man god was watching he's watching over us you know long before we ever had a you know a understanding of the gospel uh, he's working to just bring us into that place of, you know, just relationship with himself and uh, through the trials, through the tribulations, through all those things, you know, he wonderfully, um, you know, he, he He steps into our life and reveals himself to us. And that's what, in a sense, really has happened here with Paul. Uh, he's been, in a sense, really intercepted by Jesus himself, miraculously converted, uh, healed uh, of blindness, prayed for it, filled with the Holy Spirit, and baptized by uh, Ananias, and immediately we find this guy, he's going out and witnessing of his faith. Um, you know, what a what a passionate guy, the, the same passion in a sense that he had against Christ and against the church. You know, here he is, uh, you know with extradition papers going to Damascus you know out of his own country to another city to apprehend the disciples of the Lord to drag them back to incarcerate them and whatever the case may be and that same passion we we see in him then we see that that passion and, and just you know that that desire for God you know he said the love of Christ and I imagine when you know, we talked about it last week when when he met the Lord on the on the road there and and you know who are you Lord <laughs> and I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting and, uh, and I would imagine when the Lord said that to him, and had it be with the, with the most incredible degree and revelation of the love of God. Because I think, you know, that Paul would say that later, it's the love of Christ that motivates me, moves me, and constrains me. Um, and so we see this, this, this passion in this guy right from the very get-go. He kinda, he's one of those kind of guys, you know, A-type personality, at least, I think A++-type plus plus personality. Uh, he just kind of hits the ground running you know, for the Lord, and, um, and just we see here, you know, as he enters into the Acts, you know, uh, narrative here, we see that he is the real commanding presence, you know, in the rest of this particular uh, book of Acts. And his first question, if we remember, is, you know, who are you, Lord? Now, that would be answered, I think, not only for uh, Saul, but that would be answered for him throughout the course of his life. Uh, Yes, he met Jesus, and that's the dramatic kind of a thing when we first meet the Lord, but yet uh, we're constantly learning of him, knowing him. He says that at the end of his life in Philippians 3.10, that I might know him, prison epistle. Uh, You know, Paul won't be uh, long for this world, but he's saying even at that point in prison, in the worst of circumstances, that I might know him uh, and experience him, you know, in an ongoing way, and isn't that true of us? And isn't that important for us as well to be knowing Him in an ongoing way, in our in a, that experiential knowing Him? You know, you know, Paul speaks about uh, in in Ephesians chapter three about knowing the 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 love that surpasses knowledge. So how do we know it? Um, I think we're always learning of it, but we're, but the way we know it is in our experience. Uh, as we experience his love, you know, as we as we navigate through life just trusting him, looking to him, and leaning upon him. <clears throat> the other question, too, that Paul had, and I think it, it's already begun to take place in his life, was simply this, Lord, what would you have me to do? And he was just that kind of guy. He just wanted to serve God. Uh, he just wanted to be involved. And I can remember um, that was one of the first, and I had no, I had no Bible background at all, but when I got saved... Uh, That was one of the first things I can remember thinking that almost, it was almost the first day, Uh, I want to do something for you, Lord. And and I think that's, you know, the experience of, you know, I think of every true believer, uh, maybe not to that particular degree, but there's that desire there, Lord, what do you want me to do? And we see here as as Paul attempts to do that, there is going to be tremendous opposition. We have to remember that too, you know. If you want to really serve the Lord and be active, And fulfill God's will for your your life you know there's going to be opposition we have to realize that I think a lot of times when we face some kind of opposition um, uh, you know our our, what we call spiritual warfare we kind of back off Uh, sometimes we think I think wrongly and maybe it's this a part of American Christianity that if I'm in the will of God everything's going to be you know hunky-dory you know peaches and cream cakewalk you know kind of a thing and that's not the case when we look at, you know, when we look at the, uh, uh, the Gospels and we look at those, you know, particularly Paul, Peter, John, you know, all the apostles basically, you know, cost them their life, uh, you know, to witness for Jesus Christ and to walk with him. And there's going to be opposition that comes against us we have to accept that we have to we have to you know understand that and realize that sometimes the greatest opposition because you are right in the center of God's will and as we and as we you know proceed forward don't allow ourselves you know to be deterred to be pushed back you know by our circumstances now look at verse 19 where we started out there 19b the persecutor here becomes the proclaimer of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think all those saints that were there in Damascus, I think they're shaking their heads. I mean, this guy, Paul, is like enemy number, you know, church enemy number one, you know, kind of a thing. And I imagine they're just, they're just totally shocked at the fact that, you know, here, you know, the, the arch nemesis of the church, uh, God has saved him. He, he's in our midst and he's proclaiming the gospel. And we're told here what he preaches in verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ, uh, the long-awaited Messiah, in the synagogues because that's where basically he went. That's where you could go. There, you know, there was no other place to go. And, uh, and of course, he, go, he will say later in the book of Acts, the gospel to the Jew first. And these were Jews that were not, these were part of the diaspora, the dispersed Jews. And so now he's bringing the gospel to them but there will come a time here even in the book of Acts uh, where the gospel is rejected you know by the Jews um, you know the, the dispersed Jews as it was in Jerusalem uh, as well and he's preaching basically that he is the Son of God and and to say a person is the son of God is basically a claim for deity remember that's one of the things that God Jesus put on the cross uh, you know the the, the Those who understood religious, you know, theology understood when he said he was a son of God, what that meant. That put him on equal footing, you know, with the Father. And that's why, you know, they rejected him very strongly, (coughs) excuse me, on that point. I think maybe, um, you know, they might have been willing to accept him as Messiah. But when he made the claim for deity, that kind of, I think that was over the line, um, you know, for the Pharisees and for those who... Um, we're somewhat, you know, somewhat uh, knowledgeable of the Scripture, and um, and in verse twenty one, then all who heard were amazed, and they said, "Is not this he who destroyed those called on his name in Jerusalem has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests?" And again, they were amazed at the amazing grace of God in his life. I, I think that's important for the world. The world needs to see and sample the faith of God's people. I think sometimes we clam up, um, you know, we've maybe uh, expressed our faith in, in certain kinds of ways and maybe it's been shunned. Um, maybe there's been that pushback or that opposition. Uh, and so sometimes, we, you know, we get a little careful, maybe a little perhaps too careful. But I think, I think in, this, in these days and at these, at these times, I think we need to really be vocal. And I think there's a real principle here that we see being played out in the life you know, of, uh, of Saul, who will become Paul the Apostle, that there needs to be at some point a verbal and vocal expression of our faith. Let me ask you, when's the last time that happened for you? Let me ask you this, has it happened at all? There, there needs to be that expression That vocal expression, you don't have to go around hammering people. You don't have to go around beating people in the head with a Bible. But I believe the Lord will give us opportunities to speak, um, you know, to individuals. A lot of times what I try to do is I try to interject something Christian, something biblical, something about God into the conversation as as sort of a lure to see where it goes. To see if perhaps maybe, uh, like if you're ever talking to somebody and, uh, you know, there, there's, there's, certain, there's certain types of terms uh, that you're looking for to find out, maybe somebody you've never met or talked to before. You're trying to get a feel for that person in a sense, are they a believer? Um, and, and oftentimes we can identify that, you know, by our language and, you know, simply by the things that we say. But I think we need to look for opportunities um, rather than just sort of clam up and be quiet and be fearful because we know, after all, they don't want to hear us. Well, that may be true. But the fact of the matter is, when people confronted me with the gospel in 1975, I didn't want to hear it. And, and I was pushing back. Uh, and of course, you know, my wife, Margie, got saved first. And so the gospel had already snuck into my home. And, uh, and I was trying to talk her out of it. I was trying to talk her out of it and, uh, for the first number of days. Um, um, and uh, she says, no. No, she says, I know Jesus is real. And, and because she knew him, she, she met the Lord. She experienced that within her life. I, I hadn't yet. And so I just thought it was a sort of like some com- some like sort of some concept, like we get secular concepts, you know, we sort of, you know, cultural things that sort of get into our mind and we get on this trendy thing for a while. We hop on the wagon of something, you know, out there that's sort of trendy in the culture and so forth. And, and maybe sometimes for some people, religion might be like that. But I think when, you know, when someone truly, genuinely meets the Lord and they interface and they have that experience you know, with Christ, uh, it's undeniable. Uh, it, it's so incredibly impactful you know, in your life and in your experience. I remember we went home to Philadelphia. We were, we were living here when we got saved. We went home to all our families in Philadelphia and uh, we scared them all half to death you know, with, the, with the gospel. And uh, I remember my mother saying, because, you know, I come from a very, you know, very long Irish Catholic background kind of a thing, and so did my wife and her family. And uh, I remember my my, mo- my mother was saying about my, my, my Irish grandmother had, was dead at that point. And uh, I remember after I shared the gospel with my mom and dad, uh, my, my mother said, if your grandmother could hear you now, she'd roll over in her grave. And... Uh, And sometimes, too, religion is like that. It's almost like a political kind of affiliation. But once you come to know the true and the living God, you know that you know that you know. It's not about signing some membership. It's not about joining some religious organization. It's about a personal relationship that we have, you know, with the Lord and with the Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to this whole thing of being, you know, being vocal, verbal about our faith, you know, we might say, well, I don't know what the Apostle Paul knew now remember he was steeped in scripture so i imagine when he met the messiah when he met the lord man the lights came on the the scripture that he knew began to you know uh, have impact within his life and uh, he was probably already connecting the dots about you know messianic prophecies in the old testament and that sort of thing but see for most of us we don't have that kind of a experience but here's the thing all you all we need to do is simply share what we know To share that Christ has come into our, my life. He's changed my life. And, and there's some, there's a reality and a genuineness about that kind of a testimony that when somebody has truly, when God has come into someone's life, there's a reality there. And and, and people begin to see a certain genuineness there, a, a reality in uh you know the the changes that are beginning to take place in our life and all we simply need to do is we need to simply share you know what's in our what you basically um god has done in our life you know paul would write over in uh, Romans chapter 10 verse 9 he says that if you confess with your mouth the lord jesus uh and you believe in your heart you, you confess with your mouth because you do believe in your heart that god has raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes under righteousness, because why? You believe in righteousness is imparted to you. That's the beauty about true Christianity. You don't have to earn it. That's why I think a lot of people think, you know, when you think about church or coming to Christ or becoming a Christian, it's like, I could never do that. That was my thought, I could never do that. I I remember, I remember, you know, growing up in, in, in parochial school as a kid and thinking about the saints, because the saints were really put on a pedestal. And I think some of those saints, as I've read some of those testimonies, some of those, uh, you know, saints during the Middle Ages, I think a lot of them really did know the Lord. But they were put on such a pedestal, and because I didn't know the Lord, I thought, I'm not even gonna try. I could never attain to that. But the beauty of the gospel is that the righteousness of Christ is just simply imputed. It's simply, it's given to us. you know we were talking about last week about you know because well God saved murderers and uh, we're talking about David Berkowitz who saved son of Sam killer and um, in the prison uh, in a basically in a chaplain's role uh, for the rest of his life uh, and yet he realizes that this is where this is where God wants me and you know when you look at that, you, you look at the grace of God, you know, in, in someone's life like that, um, and and again, that's the the uh, deception I think of a false religion as I, I have to be I have to be good, you know, I I have to earn to earn to earn this. I can remember, uh, in the, the movie Saving Private Ryan, uh, Tom Hanks is their company uh, commander there. He's a captain, and uh, and he's dying. And it was all about saving this one guy. Saving this one guy, you know, Private Ryan. And and, and in there, saving this Private Ryan, uh, a number of this of this unit, they died. So many of them died just, you know, saving him because all of his brothers died. And he was the only one left. They wanted to get him back home to his mother. And so they go out into this combat situation. And so Tom Hanks is there. He's shot and he's just dying and private ryan is attending to him and he and 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 he whispers to him he says earn this earn this the mere fact that he was giving his life you know for the saving of this man he was saying earn this but the beautiful thing for you and i in our salvation is jesus christ he's he's earned it for us there's nothing we can do except accept it by faith and, and that's why sometimes it's so hard for people. That's too simple. That's too simple just to believe, especially for a religionist, where they feel that they've worked their whole life to attain to a place of, you know, I, you know and, and sometimes you'll hear, if, you know, if someone's in, steeped in religion, uh, you'll ask them, why well, are you going to heaven? Well, I, 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 I hope so, because I've been working toward it my whole life. I'll tell you what, you can know so. You can know. The Bible tells us that. You can know, you can have an assurance of your salvation. Anyway, he will say here, whoever believes, uh, um, let me see, let let me just back this up. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So again here, the point that we're simply making here, confession is very important. At some point, Maybe, maybe not right away. Maybe we're all not built and, and you know, fashioned like we, the Apostle Paul. Maybe we're more timid. But at some point, folks, we need to confess Jesus Christ. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all that will believe. You know, the Lord Jesus said this, and I think this is a real challenge for all of us, he says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my Father in heaven. That's alarming, isn't it? That's kind of alarming when you read that. And, and again, the importance is, and it's not that we confess to be saved. We confess, why? Because we are saved, OK? It's not confessing, oh, if I confess, then I'll be saved. No, it's a fact that we are saved. And as a result of that, we make our confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we see in verse, back to our text in verse 22, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt at Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. You know, his entire argument is based on Old Testament scripture alone. He couldn't turn to 2 Corinthians, okay? He couldn't turn to 1 John. He couldn't even turn to the Gospels because they weren't written yet. They were probably beginning to take shape at that point. But again, how important the Old Testament is. Sometimes I see it being played down, you know, by pastors. You you don't need the Old Testament. Well, that's, that's where Paul basically made his argument for Jesus as the Messiah. Old Testament scripture is important. I read it every day. There's there's so much there. As a matter of fact, over in, I think it was 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, Paul would later say this. Um, He said, now these things became, he's talking about the Old Testament stories. He's using them in Corinthians. He's talking about the uh, children of Israel in the wilderness and their struggles and so forth. He said, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Then in verse 11 he says, now all these things happened to them as examples uh, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So again, we see, you know, these illustrations, these Old Testament stories, and I'll tell you what, there's some rich, great stories. If we eliminate the Old Testament from our theology, uh, we will be missing uh, so much. Now, as we come to verse 23, <clears throat> it says, Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Now, it's interesting, too, that Paul is a Hellenist, okay? Um, he's not a native-born um, Israeli. Uh, he, came, he comes from Tarsus. And... Um, uh, I would imagine some of his old comrades are here, and they're persecuting him. And maybe that's why he's debating them, because uh, um, you know maybe he's trying to make sense. And you know sometimes, you know, when it comes to sharing the Lord with people, you know, you get this look sometimes like a deer in the headlights, kind of a thing. And uh, and, and and you know, the funny thing is, you know, we 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 we're called to share the gospel, uh, but you know what? God has to reveal that truth to them. God has to reveal himself to them in some kind of a way, uh, even though perhaps, you know, we may be trying to make it very clear, and we need to do that. That's our part. Uh, the revelation part is his part, and even though sometimes we may share the gospel and someone may just sort of shake their head and say, you know, I have no idea. Um, there was a story. Uh, gosh, I I'm, uh, can't think of... Uh, uh, who, who is the fellow in England that was involved in um, crushing the slave trade? For Wilberforce. Well, his best friend was the prime minister of England, William Pitt. And uh, there was this fellow speaking uh, in London, and uh, Wilberforce says, you know, I want to get Pitt because Pitt, what Pitt didn't know the Lord. And he says, I want to get Pitt into that, you know, uh, because they were good friends and he really appreciated Pitt and all that they were trying to do politically and so forth. And I could just get him into this meeting. So he comes to the, Pitt, Pitt comes to the meeting with Wilberforce and they sit there and they're right up front. And, and Wilberforce is just saying, wow, what a message to himself. So powerful, the gospel was so utterly clear. And so as the meeting's over, they're walking away and Pitt says to Wilberforce, He says, Wilberforce, I don't have the slightest idea what that guy was talking about. And and that's what, it can be like that, you know, when you're communicating the gospel. But I'll tell you what, when you plant that seed, God can water it later. God can water that seed later in someone's life, and all of a sudden, you know, new life uh, takes shape and takes form. And so here he's going to be basically persecuted, uh, you know, by his old comrades. And remember it says over in verse 16, You know of our text here uh, in Acts um, when basically uh, let's see here verse 16 okay I'm in Matthew that doesn't work and uh, but remember the Lord said the Lord said about him uh, to Ananias he said for he is going to suffer many things for my namesake and what's happening here for Paul Is that he's beginning, from the very beginning, he's entering into the fellowship of suffering. And again later he speaks about how he come to a glory in that. Uh, I mentioned earlier uh, Philippians 3.10, that I might know him um, and the fellowship of his suffering. In other words, are we able to really fellowship with the Lord when trials come? When adversity comes? when we find ourselves, you know, in a place of suffering. And I think Paul is a, a prime example of that. You know, we looked at the Lord Jesus, we looked at John the Baptist, we looked at Stephen being stoned. You know, all they, they all physically suffered, but a very short life. Paul lived a long life. And there's sometimes, you know, uh, we may have to go through some degree of suffering for years. I, I've known Christians, you know, look at Johnny Erickson Tata. When I look at that couple and her husband Ken, they were they were speaking, uh, you know, in the area a few years ago, and we went and attended. And, and I've re- we've read a number of we've read uh, we have a couple of her uh, devotionals at home, and, and there's such an incredible depth in this gal, in her life, and in her husband as well, in um, all that she's endured. She's been in that wheelchair since 1967. I think she she had that diving accident when she was about 17. Uh, years old and you read some of her stuff. If you don't have any of Johnny Erickson Tata's devotionals, I'd encourage you to get them. Um, there, there's some there's some rich theology there. There's some there's some you know, I, I when I read people like that, I realize how wimpy I really am. And uh <laughs> Uh, when I look at, you know, sometimes the things I complain about, the things that I might gripe about, or whatever the case may be, and I think, oh, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for griping. When I look at, when I read someone's life and, and all that they endure, and I, I look at a gal like that and just the impact, you know, of her life and her ministry. You know, but Paul, you know, he said about uh, what he had to go through, how he would glory uh, in that, and he speaks about that in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty two. 22, um, where he's speaking about uh, to the Corinthians because uh, there were those that came in after Paul. They tried to dislodge and, and and uh, you know, negate any impact that he would make with the gospel. You know, we call them Judaizers, uh, where they try to come in. And Paul was preaching grace, and they came in after Paul and said, well, you have to do this, and you have to do that, and... and um, you know, you have to become a Jew first, you know, you got to go through circumcision and all these other rites and things of that nature, and, and then you can become a Christian. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. And so he's saying here to defend himself, he's saying, are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. In other words, he's, he's, he's sort of in a sense boasting, but he's doing it for a purpose to basically demonstrate you know the grace of God in his life and the things that he's had to go through. Uh, he says, um, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in other words, lashes. Um, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often, near-death experiences. He says, of the Jews, uh, five times I received 40 stripes, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day. I've been in the deep, you know, treading water. Um, in journeys often, in perils or dangers of waters, in dangers of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in dangers of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea. Uh, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, uh, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness besides the other things. What comes upon me daily, my concern uh, for the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast uh, in the things that concern my weaknesses, my infirmities. And the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. For in Damascus, the governor under Aratas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a, uh, or through a window in, in the wall and escaped from his hands. I wonder if Paul thought, you know, when that was happening that he was actually a legitimate basket case. Uh, Like sometimes we may feel like that as well. Lord, what are you doing? Here he's running for his life, commissioned by the Lord, Um, going to be used by the Lord in a very powerful way, but yet we find sometimes you got to go through these crazy uh, experiences. I remember uh, uh, another pastor from Calvary, Philadelphia, we were smuggling um, Bible materials and stuff like that into the East Block and uh, we got to bulgaria we, we made it through made it through poland we made it through czechoslovakia we made it through yugoslavia and we got into uh to bulgaria and uh that was we heard it was a, you know that and albania was the toughest this was back in like 1980 this is 89 yeah the wall was coming down the wall would be coming down in two weeks we were there in the fall of 89 and uh and we were so happy, you know, the fact that we had made it through all these countries. And then we finally get to our last stop. We're going out to Borgas on the Black Sea. And uh, at the border, we get pulled over. And man, they, they put our car up on a lift. They, they go through it, you know, and they find our materials. They find our materials. And, and, uh, And man we were so downcast about that you know because we wanted to be able to they put cables on these materials and so forth and we had to make sure that we checked back in with them when we came out and they when we came back out of uh, uh, Bulgaria they would take the cables off uh, off of our bible products and so forth but um nevertheless you know God wonderfully used that uh our trip there to visit uh, this little church there on the on the Black Sea and I can remember um, the pastor's name was Victor, and it was interesting because this was, this was after, you know, 40 years or more of communism, and the church was packed out. It was just packed out, little church. They were standing outside, uh, listening through the windows and so forth, and Jerry Paradis and I got to speak and uh, just share some things uh, as the interpreter. Uh, interpreted for us and uh, and I can remember you know the little a little old lady and everybody they all look like they worked so hard they looked like they were just worked to death and um, a little old lady comes up to me and she had her little bandana on and she stuck her she wanted to shake my hand and she put money in my hand uh, and her hand was just like it was so Coarse and rough from working in the fields her whole life, and and I said, "Well, oh, I can't take that. I can't take that." And uh, and Victor the pastor says, "Oh, you have to take it. You have to take it, or else you will, you will insult that dear little saint." And so I still have that 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 money in my uh, in my um, my desk, a little memento of uh, a special moment of God's grace, you know, reaching out to. Uh, to touch those sweet and dear people there in a faraway place. But the plot becomes known to Saul, we're told. They watched the gates, we just read that. The disciples took him by the night and let him down, you know, through the wall in a basket. So so in this at this particular point, now Paul, we don't have much of a mention here. Many people believe it takes place between a couple of verses here That Paul goes away into Arabia for a three year period, sort of uh, uh, a respite, uh, a time of seclusion with the Lord. And he writes about it over in Galatians when he says, uh, he says, uh, You have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the Church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the tradition of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood i nor did i go up to jerusalem to those who were apostles before me but i went into arabia and returned again so we see that not only does he have this this first experience in damascus but he goes into arabia for three years and then he returns obviously paul needed time for god was preparing him you know it's kind of interesting because moses went to sinai to receive the law Paul goes to Sinai to receive the grace, and, um, and so even though, you know, the, maybe he didn't have that three-year tenure with the Lord Jesus as the disciples did. He had his three-year experience here. And you know, sometimes too, God may bring us or take us into a time of seclusion. And if he's doing that, it's to answer that question, who are you, Lord? It's to reveal himself. That, that's what I think he was saying here in Galatians, that he might reveal his, his son in me and through me. But isn't it wonderful to realize? And one of the, I, I think, the most exciting things in my life is those little revelations that I've gotten about the nature of Jesus and about the Lord through his word. They have been the highlights of my, my whole experience. When you're just sitting there and you're just reading your Bible, and maybe it's you're punctuating that with some prayers, and all of a sudden the Lord just sort of gives you something. He Just gives you something, just personal. It's just for you, you know, in the word. And if God puts you into a time of seclusion, enjoy it. He wants you to get to know him better. And maybe even that other question might be answered with more clarity. Lord, what would you have me to do? And so that was being answered, no doubt, for the Apostle Paul. So in verse 26, he arrives in his beloved Jerusalem, but he's shunned and rejected by the believers. Now remember, this group had experienced the full force and of, of Saul's fury against them. Uh, maybe they had relatives that had been incarcerated in prison. maybe he had, <clears throat> excuse me, as we saw last week that Paul was involved in putting some of them to death. Maybe, maybe those who had resisted maybe he was he was told that they could do that because there had been a change. there had been a change in the government uh, there, um, you know the occupational government of Rome, uh, you know Pilate uh, not long after the event of uh, him, him basically uh, washing his hands of the whole, trying to wash his hands of the matter. He's he's transferred, I forget where he was transferred to. But there's been a changing of the guard, and maybe there was this more leniency, whereas the Roman, the Romans before that were the only ones that were allowed to, you know, apply the whole measure of capital punishment. Uh, obviously, they're allowing the, uh, the Jewish Sanhedrin uh, to get away with that at this particular point. And so you can imagine these folks, You know, I've always said this. That when it comes to Christianity 101, that number one principle is learning how to forgive. And we know forgiveness isn't easy, is it? And I think maybe that's why it was difficult for the church to receive him. They, in Jerusalem, they had maybe seen him in his passion, <laughs> the, the, the pathos that he had to destroy Christianity. Remember, we're told uh, in an earlier chapter, it was like a wild boar dismembering someone. And, and even initially in, in Damascus, they're thinking, man, this is a setup. How could that guy possibly get saved? So forgiveness is not an easy thing. I was thinking about, you know, Corey Ten Boom. You know, after she, you know, she was released, if you ever read the story, The, the, the Hiding Place, uh, it's an awesome book. If you've never read The Hiding Pla- Place, you've got to read that book. They even have a movie, Billy Graham Organization back in the 70s uh, produced a movie called The Hiding Place and it's interesting, but the book is powerful. And uh, the Ten Boom family uh, was very instrumental in smuggling Jews out of Nazi-occupied Holland. Uh, they got caught, uh, sent to Raven- Ravensbrück, uh, concentration camp, uh, Papa Ten Boom was, was elderly. Uh, he didn't last much more than two weeks and he died. And it was Corey and her sister Betsy. And, um, and just the brutality uh, of living through that environment and how they were treated, how they were abused, and so forth. Um, and in that story there, she basically nurses her sister, Betsy, falls sick. She, she, she becomes her nurse taking care of her, but eventually Betsy dies. Um, And the bitterness, you know, of all that experience, you can only imagine how that could linger and define someone's life the rest of their life. And so she would speak. She would speak to Christian groups. She would speak in churches around Europe. Uh, And in some way, you know, she's got a, there was one of her books called Tramp for the Lord, uh, because she was always on the road, you know, uh, ministering to, to, you know, to broken people when you look at, you know, what the ravages of what was left over from World War II in Europe. Uh, But she was speaking at different times. And uh, she shares in her book here, this is the hiding place, the book, and she shares this experience. She says, "Uh, I was at a church service in Munich when I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door at the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen uh, since that time. And suddenly it all, it was all there, the room full of mocking guards, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming. He said, how grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, to think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people in that town, the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled within me, I saw the sin of them, and I prayed, Lord Jesus, forgive me and help me to forgive him. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him while in my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. I discovered that it is not our forgiveness any more than our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. And when he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with that command the love himself." He'll do it. It's not always easy to forgive someone that's wounded as deeply, is it? Because those wounds can be sort of a betrayal those hurtful kinds of things but God's grace and no doubt that was taking place here in the restoral, restoral uh, of the church here and the Apostle Paul and the rest of the story we find in verse 27 through 31 mm-hmm. and to me it's this great soul enter this great soul we first met him in chapter 4 his name is Barnabas actually his name is Joseph Uh, we're told that he's a levite from cyprus uh, and having land he sold it and came and brought the money and just dropped it at the apostles feet because we know that there was a great need in jerusalem at that particular time and we know that that obviously was part of the launch uh, for this man uh, by the name of barnabas barnabas took him and brought him to the Apostles and declared to him how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus." So when we look at this guy Barnabas, man, what a, he's an encourager. He's a facilitator. He's a reconciler. He's hopeful. And remember, love, it says about love in 1 Corinthians 13 that love believes all things. It doesn't mean love is naive, but what it means is this, love believes the best. In other words, it's hopeful. It, it believes the best for people, even, even perhaps people that, you know, that maybe have hurt us, and we look at their life. We, we talked about that, a, you know, a couple weeks ago. You know, sometimes you, you have an experience with somebody, and, and uh, it could be painful, and you don't see them for a number of years, and you maybe freeze-frame them, you know, in that experience, and, and maybe have a bitter thought toward that person. And then you see them years later and it's like, wow, they're, they're, they're changed. They're changed, they're joyful. And they, they come up to you and they give you a big hug and, and, and say how much they love you and, and maybe even, maybe even there could be an apology there. See, Barnabas,
1: he's
0: hmm, a reconciler. He's a healer. We see it later with John Mark. John Mark bails out, you know, failed missionary effort by John Mark, and, and who comes alongside? Barnabas. He's that kind of guy. You know, we've been reading in Isaiah, and Isaiah says, under the, under the Messianic ministry of Jesus Christ, that we will, be, we will be rebuilders, we will be repairers, we will be restorers. And, and when you look at this guy, Barnabas, you know what? We need these kinds of folks in the body of Christ. Every church needs more than one barnabas he's a son of cons- in other words when it says son of consolation or son of encouragement depending on your translation that means he was born to do that it just seemed to be he was born and that's in a sense you know when you and i are born again we're born in a different way to do different things than we did before to do things that glorify and honor the name of the lord jesus christ And so in verse 28, it says that he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, uh, but they attempted to kill him. Again, this is the same group that murdered Stephen. And so now he leaves Jerusalem as a fugitive Christian. Isn't it amazing? When he left Jerusalem before, he was chasing fugitive Christians. And what a shock it must have been even to the Apostle Paul. I can't believe I can't believe what God has done in my life and he's probably leaving Jerusalem knowing he is a fugitive Christian knowing that he's not welcome there but just rejoicing the fact that he's he's in the will of God that God is with him that God is watching over him God has given him after all he's done that God has commissioned him That's what I love about the Lord. He has a way. People may not forget our past, but he has a way of forgetting the past. You know, he would later say, you know, about his return to this Jerusalem that he loved. He says this over in Acts chapter 20. He says, I now go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me. He realizes he's coming back except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city. You know, remember, Agabus takes his belt, and he says, the man, you know, this man's belt is, you know, uh, he's going to be bound. And he's speaking about you know, Paul and what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem when he goes back. But again, he had such a passion and a love for his people. And they're saying that chains and tribulations await me. But I love what he says here, and I think it's sort of, in a sense, a, 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 the slogan of Paul's life. None of these things move me. Think about the things that move people. Look how COVID-19 has moved our world, impacted our world, changed our world. I think 9-11 changed us, but we've had another change. We have had another tectonic culture shift change since COVID-19. And what I like about Paul, he says, you know what? None of these things are going to shake me up. None of these things are going to move me. And he knows he's going back. He knows that the Holy Spirit's told him he's facing chains and incarceration. But none of these things move me, neither do I count my life dear unto myself. Oh, God help us. God help us to spend the currency of our life for Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if we say, try to save our life, we will lose it. Remember that. If we, just so, if we are so protecting and worried and scared, you try to save your life like that. There isn't one person in heaven who died or early death that if we were to ask them, do you regret? Stephen, do you regret? Preaching that sermon that cost you your life. No. You heard the story of William Borden, right? Heir to the to the famous milk fortune. I forget what the college he went to, Harvard or Yale or something like that. He was just on fire. It was around the time of of, of Moody and and. Uh, you know, an awakening that was taking place in our country. And he was just, he was just absolutely on fire. And he decided that he was going to become a missionary and, and, and go to the Far East. And he prepared for that. And he had impacted so many other young men um, in, in college and so forth. And he even gave up, it was somewhere around 25 or $30 million back around the turn of the, the 1900s, which was an incredible amount of money and a great fortune. And he turned it away. And one of the things that he said, or he said three things. He said he wasn't going to hold back any reserve, no reserve. He had all that money, but I'm I'm launching out on faith. And then he said, no return. I'm not returning. And then he said this. No regret. He never made it to the mission field. He got to northern Africa, to Egypt. And I believe that he either had appendicitis or I think spinal meningitis it was. And he was dying in the hospital bed. And his parents, his his mother and his sister, left America to go visit him. And I guess spinal meningitis is very contagious, and they had to kind of, they could be in the room, but they had to be at a distance. And they remarked over the fact that he looked so much like Jesus. <laughs> if you and I were to ask Borden, William Borden, you left your fortune. You, you, you launched out in faith and you never even made it to the mission field. William, was it worth it? No regrets. No regrets. None of these things, Paul said, move me. Neither do I count my life dear unto myself. Amen. Lord, help us, we pray, as we consider the Apostle Paul. Look at his life. Lord, it's an illustration of a man simply sold out to you, living for you, and ultimately, eventually, he would die for you. Lord the same call is not exactly upon our lives to do exactly what he did nevertheless you call us you call us to lay down our interest to lay lay aside the things that are so important to us Lord to live for you Lord to be vocal and verbal Lord, free us, I pray, from any fear that we may have. We all have them, Lord. We wrestle with those things. I'm sure Paul had his issues. But feelings are one thing. We've discovered, Lord, that faith, faith is the greater reality. And I pray that you would help us. You see our struggles. You see our setbacks. You see our recurring failures. You see all of our good intentions. Lord, I pray that you would fill us afresh. Fill us freshly with your spirit. Lord, with your truth, with your word. And just give us a passion, too, where we could say the love of Christ constrains me. The love of Christ, it, it, it motivates me, it moves me forward. And Lord perhaps we need, Lord, a fresh revelation of who you are in our lives. The love that sent you to the cross, your great resurrection power, raising us up, enabling us, empowering us. Lord, help us, we pray, to be like the early church was. We learn it because we're challenged by forgiving people, letting it go, Lord, giving it to you. Lord, help us, we pray, to walk in this glorious freedom that we have as the children of God. We give you praise and glory and thanks for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we rise?
1: I need To feel my father smiling on today. God bless you as you go. Have a beautiful day in the Lord.